Open our eyes, Lord, that we might see. Open our ears that we might hear. Open our mind and our heart that we might understand, so that we will turn to you and live. Teresa of Avila said, There is no stage of spiritual development so sublime that it is not important to go back to the beginning. And so I'm a beginner. I'm going to assume you are too. And so let's begin together. I share a story with you, uh, two stories, in fact, uh, to sort of help with where we're going today. Uh, the other night at dinner, uh, my daughters were asking, my wife and I, Shelby, uh, how many times each of us, how many different homes each of us lived in, uh, including the one we're currently in. My wife grew up in the same house for 18 years. And so her number was uh, much lower compared to mine. I was well into the mid-20s. We moved around a lot. Part of that was my dad was a Methodist pastor. And some of it was we just weren't always great at paying rent. And so we lived in a lot of different homes. And so uh, one of the things that sort of is the fruit of living in a lot of different homes, other than, you know, attachment issues, um, is (laughs) it's funny because of therapy. Yeah. So, yeah. But one of them, too, is no one has ever accused me of being handy. I call Evan Hansen all the time to go, okay, that positive negative on the batteries, what does that mean? Now, it's not quite that bad, although sometimes my wife might be like, no, it's actually actually that bad. But no one ever calls me and goes, hey, I'm going to reno a kitchen. Will you help? Ever. They just don't ask. They just don't ask. It's not handy. Uh, because you're moving around so much, what? There's always someone to call. There's always a landlord. Uh, we grew up in parsonages as well. So you could always call the head deacon or whoever was on the building committee and they would send someone over. And so uh, I get into adulthood just ineptly equipped to care for anything in my home. And so YouTube became my daddy, right? I mean, it's just kind of like the, like, I'm going to go look and I'm going to see and see if we can do it. Uh, but I had this experience where um, uh, we ended up needing to, in our new home, call someone to come fix the appliances. And I was just sort of, I'd spent enough time with Evan that I was like, I just really want to be handy. Like, I just really want to know somewhat of what I'm doing. And so I called Cecil and Cecil was a guy within the neighborhood or that was known within the neighborhood. And so Cecil shows up. And Cecil lived up to his name, just gritty, down-to-earth kind of guy. And Cecil arrived, and he goes, all right, what am I fixing? I was like, okay, well, before we get there, can I ask something? He's like, okay. He hadn't even come inside yet. And I go, whatever you do, can I watch? Can I come alongside and then just kind of learn? And he goes, that's a new one. Just like that, right on our front step. He's just like, huh. That's a new one. That's a new one. And he did. And so Cecil's actually been back a few times. And finally, there is finally, after about four or five times of him coming, there was one time he showed up. He didn't even charge me for what I was asking. He goes, okay, let me explain this. I'm not going to charge you. To the point that the last time I called him because of our fridge, he goes, Bliss, just buy a new fridge. So that's where Cecil and I are. Uh, But then I have another, one of my closest friends here in town who is incredibly handy. We'll reno their bedrooms, bathrooms, all those things. Um, and so he came over to the house a few weeks back and Shelby has some work that she wants done on one of the downstairs bathrooms. And so while he was there, she turns to him and go, Hey, would you come over and help bliss do this? And he didn't go, well, that's a weird one. He just immediately went, absolutely. This will be so much fun. When do you want to do it? You want to do it tomorrow? We'll get beer. We'll get pizza. It'll be fun. And I was like, I've never heard anyone describe the pizza part or the actual construction part. And he's like, no, no, no. The construction part will be, the construction part will be fun. 
What's the difference there? I had called Cecil out of the blue off some posting and next door. And so his sort of comfortability and intimacy has sort of grown with me over time. But for my incredibly close friend, he did not hesitate to go, yes, I would love to help. I will absolutely come alongside and help. We're thinking about our rule of life. We're thinking about it within the framework of a pilgrimage, a pilgrimage that is not a lonely journey, but as a pilgrimage, it's a walk with friends and not just one another, fellow pilgrims, but also God, also God. And this morning, I want to invite us to think about what it means to be in a cooperating friendship with God. Not a God who you go, I think I might need some help. And he goes, "Ah, that's a new one. But actually designed reality to work in a cooperating friendship with God and with God's friends. And so this morning, I'm going to ask us to hold a few things together. And the first is this story that we have been sitting in for a few weeks. Like any good story, each time you hear it again, you hear something different. It's not enough to just hear a good story once. And so if it's okay, I want to read uh, what we sat with a few weeks ago and these two different versions of stories of what God is up to and what God is doing. I'm going to read the second one. And I've taken some liberties with it and changing a few things that Gary originally wrote to make it fit more of our context here at All Souls. So I'm going to invite us just to listen again. For some of you, this will be the first time. And for others, this will be the third, the fourth. And next week will probably be the fifth. This is the story of God. It's a story in which God exists as a loving community of three whose relationship is so joyful. It is so pulsating. It is so vibrant that it has best been described as a dance. That was C.S. Lewis. Described the life of God as a dance. God decides that this is all too wonderful to keep to God's self. And in a gracious act of hospitality, God creates an entire universe and tenderly places humanity at the center, like the offspring of proud parents brought home to a nursery. And then God does something even more amazing. God plants within the human heart a small but glorious piece of the boundless mystery, the very life of God. Under God's watchful eye, these two creatures, these two never-ceasing spiritual beings with an eternal destiny, and God's great universe are to grow into beings who will become as much like God as possible. They are to join the dance and become partners with the Trinity. But the very true, the very first two make a fatal decision. They decide that they can live unplugged from the tree of life, which is the presence and the energy, the substance and the shalom of God, and can, in fact, be God themselves. God is not surprised. God saw this day coming, even as God was knitting them together, because you can't surprise someone who lives outside the boundaries of time. And God is not angry. God does, however, become very sad as separation and the reality of free will play out before God's eyes. And so God sets in motion a series of plans to restore, which is to say to woo us back home refusing to give up on the original plan to be a nurturing parent to these precious children, showing them how to grow their character in life until it mirrors the very life of God. Absolutely, I'll help. I've been waiting for you to ask. 
Through the passing millennia, God becomes the prodigal parent, standing by the driveway, straining the neck, waiting for the children to come home. God sends cards and letters, patriarchs and prophets with the same message. Your home is waiting. The promises can still be cashed. Come home. I want to be with you. I want to teach you to dance. But when it becomes clear that we will not come home for longer than a brief visit, God can wait no longer. God empties himself of divine dignity and wades into the murk and sits down in the mire alongside these prodigal children, becoming as much like them as possible. Jesus brings the good news that the doors to the kingdom are open wide and that the Trinity still wants us to join the dance, to become as one with them as they are with each other. To become one with God as one with them as they are with each other. And God inhales death and separation into himself and shows us through the gruesome image of crucifixion what it looks like to freely die to all that is separate from God. And then God demonstrates through God's resurrection that God knows what God's talking about. But that's not all. God sends Holy Spirit with music and a dance chart so that we can learn how to waltz with the Trinity. So that we can learn how to receive and give away God's life, which is to say, God's hospitality, God's restoration, and God's shalom. To learn how to follow, to dance with the boundless mystery that is the Christ-like, present, and active God. Following God's lead into a deep, intimate, and transforming friendship with the Trinity and with the Trinity's friends. Here and now, as we wait for the real party to begin. That's good news. You don't even have to like go, okay, it's good news, it's good news, it's good. Like, it's just good. It is beautiful and it is true. It's the good news, beloved, that the kingdom of God, the life, the reign, and the rule of God is available. That a different kind of life is available. That, beloved, life doesn't have to be this way. And I don't mean that in a televangelist kind of way. I don't mean it and you can have the bigger house and all your pain will go away. Your bank account will be full. Everyone will love you. Because those things weren't true of Jesus. And yet the life he embodied and led and invites us into, the good life, the way that is full of rest, not weary burdensome work. This is the life that we are invited in light of to begin to rethink our strategy for life. Rethink how it is that we are living this life. We are invited to rethink the answers to questions like, okay, what is the good life? Who is it that's blessed? Who is really a good person? How do we become a good person, in fact. And to prove this point, I'm going to invite you to use your imagination for a moment. Is that okay? 
And I'm going to do that by contrasting two versions of the good life, two strategies for living, both that are the words of someone very well known. Here's the first. I'll tell you who it is after. This person writes this, determine never to be idle. No person will have occasion to complain of the want of time who never loses any. It is wonderful how much may be done if we are always doing, if we are always busy. For that person, what's the good life? Production? Busy? Success? Production is not a bad thing. Full calendar isn't necessarily a bad thing. Success isn't a bad thing. Unless it takes center. To that person, who is it that's blessed? Who has the good life? The person willing to push aside everything. In order to always be doing. Who is it that's really a good person? person who's always doing, always doing, never resting. To this person, how do you become a really good person? Determine never to be idle. And don't complain you don't have enough time. That was Thomas Jefferson to his eldest daughter. Beloved, I love Charlottesville. I'm being serious. Like this was, I've lived in a number of places and this for Shelby and I was our Jesus only prayer of, can we, can we please, our first date was here, lived here the first time, moved away that night, we looked at each other and said, what do we do? And so we're back. I never thought that we'd get to stay. I love this place. I love this place. But the spirit of this place is deeply formed by that man. There's no denying it. I'm not I'm just naming reality. The city of Charlottesville, for a lot of different reasons, and you and I included because we live here, so we are, we are shaped by its story, we are formed by its spaces. I think it's important to ask, what kind of life does a cooperating friendship with Jefferson look like? I'm, ser- and I'm, I'm dead serious. What does a cooperating friendship with Jefferson look like? And what it seems to look like is use anyone and everything to get ahead. Y'all, success is not bad. I'm not knocking it. What I'm saying is what is often required of us in this space to dehumanize and to destroy. And some of us are like, well, I haven't dehumanized today. Well, okay, great. It's still early, first of all. And secondly, spend some time with Jesus in Matthew 5 through 7. Because some of us, I'll say it, will go, oh, I never would have carried a tiki torch. Okay, great. But there are plenty of other people that I will label as other and dehumanize in my heart because it makes me feel safe. You've heard it said, do not murder, but I say, do not be lazy. You've heard it said, do not march with white tiki torches because of the color of your skin, but I say, Pray for you only. Bless those who curse you. Love them. 
Also, just a, what an awful thing to say to a kid. Quit your idol, quit your idol time. It's like, oh, okay, yep. It's probably easy to say when you have slaves. Different words. Jefferson's was in English, so it doesn't really require any translation. This one was in Aramaic, and so it does. And so I'm going to go with Eugene's. Are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me, work with me, and watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn how to live freely and lightly. A little bit different. To this person, what is a good life? It's a life in and with God and in God's kingdom. To this first century Jewish teacher who would turn out to be God, who is blessed. And it's anyone who's in God's kingdom. There's no hierarchy. Who is really a good person. It's the person pervaded with God's love. How do you become a really good person? You apprentice yourself to Jesus. What kind of life does a cooperating friendship with Jesus lead to? Even over and against the wisdom we heard earlier. Work yourself to the bone till you're exhausted. You can sleep when you're dead. Come to me. Come to me all who are weary. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. You'll recover your life. This is one of those Sundays where I wrote three sermons and really only have time for one. (laughs) Here's what I'll say. The cooperating friendship with God isn't about what we can do. It's about who we can be. It's not about what we can accomplish, though it will mean accomplishing things. Jesus himself accomplished quite a bit incredibly faithful. It's first and foremost about who we are with. It's a life that is an intimate friendship with God. Friendship beyond acquaintance. It's asking for help from the good friend than the one who you've just called off a listing. A friendship of an ever-deepening union. It's what the Bible means when the writers talk about knowing God. It isn't cognitively. It's a heart knowledge. That only comes with time and interaction. And friends, I'll put my cards fully on the table. I deeply in my soul believe that the kind of interactive conversational relationship that Jesus had with Abba Father is possible and available to you and me. That the intimate friendship that Jesus walked around with is available to me and is available to you. Otherwise, honestly, I'd rather just have a bigger house and go to brunch. Radically available. 
why I say it's as much for me as for any of us. Over the last few months, Jesus didn't come to build bigger, flashier churches. Jesus didn't come to build bigger, flashier lives. He came to help us reimagine a world, to reimagine life. When we're ready to come alongside him in a conversational, cooperating friendship, to work for that vision with God, to live full lives, full in the fullness of God. And so the question I leave you with this morning is, do you want that life? Do you want that life? Do you want that friendship? And I got one yes. Hey, great. I got two. We'll wait all day. No. But some of you, your answer might be no. And I want you to know that's okay. We're not going anywhere and God is living. God is not going anywhere if your answer is no. So what I would ask you if your answer is like, no, would you be willing to long to long? Would you be willing to long to long to long? Would you be willing to long to long to long to long? And here's what I would say. Whether it's those yeses or whether it's the, I'm not sure, but maybe I should ask, or maybe you're like this, ooh, it's a flickering, it's a flickering candle that's almost out, maybe. However you hear that, whatever your experience is, here's what I would say to you. Any longing you have for God is an echo and a response to the longing your soul knows without you knowing of God's desire and longing for you. Any longing you have for God is in response to God's longing for you. He will not wrangle. He won't kick down the door, but he will wait, craning his neck down the driveway. And even the smallest increase in your heart rate and thinking about that, one beat, is because your soul knows exactly where God is on the driveway located. Are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. Walk with me. Work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. Get company with me. You'll learn how to live freely and rightly. Beloved, this, well, here's here's one more invitation. What if this week you woke up and every morning believed this was true? And listen, you may be like, I don't believe in any of this mess. I'm just here because my family's here. Pretend. Just pretend. Just see what happens to pretend of like, okay, this is a real invitation by the smartest person in the entire universe, the most joyous being in the entire universe, the one who longs for us and longs for us, and longs for us. What if it was possible? And here's what I'll say again, just in the sake of, let me come up with a different analogy of putting cards on the table. There's only so many cards and so many tables. But beloved, we think it's possible. That's why we have a rule of life. And so with all of that, I'm going to read our rule of life to close. And you can find it on the inside of your bulletin. Because we are a community in the way of Jesus, we commit to be obedient to Jesus. 
submitting to him as Lord over our life, including our money, our sexuality, and our power. Because the Trinity forms us as a people designed for a relationship, we commit ourselves to generous hospitality by living with one another in tangible expressions of community. Because the gospel renews everything, beginning by awakening our hearts to true life. We will open ourselves to see and to hear God, allowing God to restore our mind, our body, and our soul. Because the kingdom of God rules over everything, we will join in God's work of bringing shalom to our home, to Charlottesville, and to the world. Not alone, but with God and with one another. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.